0: You are now listening to Bookish, The Canon Continues, the podcast that's dismantling the sacred-secular divide with your host, Michelle Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bookish, The Canon Continues. I am your host, Michelle Collins. Um, We are here, once again, as the tagline says, to bridge the sacred and secular divide book by book. So I am kind of nervous about the book I'm bringing today. Honestly, it's a subject that I don't feel quite qualified to talk about, but Um, I've read the book, I've took the notes, um, I've had conversations with people about it, and so I thought this might be a good book to bring in, kind of open up a dialogue. Uh, The book is called Unclobber. Some of you may know it. It's written by Colby Martin. Uh, Colby is a pastor. I'm going to read something from the back of the book because I really feel like it kind of introduces him well. Uh, This book is a compassionate and scholarly look at the scriptures on same-sex relationships, that so many Christians have camped on and provides an accessible new framework that extends affirmation and inclusion to the LGBTQ community. Uh, It combines thoughtful theological study with a compelling pastoral memoir to create a powerful progressive Christian manifesto. Oh, those are some fighting words for some people. Progressive Christian manifesto. All of that right there could get me in a lot of trouble. Anyway, joining me today is my very good friend, uh, Julie. Julie is actually the one that suggested this book to me quite a while back. It's been a while. Um, and I thought it would be wonderful for her to come and just kind of chat through it with me. Um, so I'm introducing you, Julie. Why don't you do for us a back of the book bio, as we like to call it. Tell us a little about yourself.
1: Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for yeah. giving me to um, join you with this discussion of this book. Um, it's kind of a humbling uh saying that you would do so because <laughs> I do not feel like an expert <clears throat> at all even though I've put quite a few years into researching this whole see, there
0: you go you <laughs> so. more of an expert yeah. than me so um
1: so I mean my just my personal background um I grew up evangelical <clears throat> well not really grew up in my 30s I raised my kids evangelical And then uh, started um, doing some of my own research on scripture, started getting into the scriptures, and just some of the different doctrines in scripture were troublesome and didn't resonate with my, you know, the deepest part of my heart. So I had to really research and figure out if these things in scripture were actually so that I was being taught in the church and um over a number of years i started deconstructing some of these doctrines and one of them did include the the bible's take or what the church was saying was the bible's take on um gay people or lgbtq people and um that uh, how i ended up <clears throat> on um that doctrine was an affirming christian and that and a couple of other doctrines that i ended up sort of on the on a on the opposing side of my the church where i was going to <laughs> um ended up kind of getting me shunned and excommunicated from the church and there was a lot of grief and a lot of confusion regarding that and i'm not never considered myself a writer, although I'm, you know, a singer and I've written lyrics and poems and um various writings. I ended up writing a book about my experiences. <laughs> I know it was a good one too. About experiences of um deconstruction and losing friendships and the grief that I went through. And right. I just published that a couple months ago. It's called Why I Left Church to Find Jesus a personal odyssey and, um, it was a really healing process for me, yeah. but, um, in the middle of all that, and then continuing after writing that, I have continued to be a really strong ally for the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. partly because I feel like, gosh, I feel like I'm almost going to cry right now. I feel like <laughs> um, the church has done so much damage. You know, yeah. I feel like it's um, obligated, my responsibility, my privilege to help correct that and rectify that. So right. you know, I've gone through a lot of different books, you know, uh, through this process, and one of them was Unclobbered. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I recommended it to you because I saw that you were searching, right, like, wanting some questions answered, and yeah, I thought that might be a good one for you. So I you know,
0: appreciate it. <laughs> I'll I'll say I mentioned the fact that I'm uncomfortable with the conversation uh, just if it were purely me, because quite honestly, I've not done that kind of due diligence to the subject matter. Um, Of course, my background is similar, uh, although it was mine was from childhood. I was raised, you know, very evangelically and very conservative Christianity. And of course, the subject matter was always taboo. Um, I, I will say that it, it never quite made sense to me why I would treat another human being poorly. Um, even if I disagreed with them. Uh I've known lots of people that, you know, are homosexual or, or fit into that community. And I, I've never had a moment's trouble with with anybody because I believed differently than them at that time. Um you know, you made the, you made mention of the fact that some of your study, some of your thought processes and the changing of your mind actually resulted in, in, uh, I think you used the word excommunication. It's a very, it's a good word. It's, it's kind of a dramatic word, but that's how it actually feels because I've gone through that as well. And you and I share that experience. Um, and, and ours isn't even because we were, because we were homosexual. Ours, <laughs> ours were just because we asked some questions. Um, So I can't even imagine how somebody uh, that identifies as homosexual or falls into the community would feel it it constantly being berated or told they're not worthy or not a part of the family. And I don't understand how we can do that to another human being. Um, So while I haven't done a lot of study on this subject, that is something I wanted to mention. I'm going to continue to continue to say that it's an uncomfortable conversation for me because I'm so afraid I'm going to say something wrong. Mm -hmm. and and not mean to you know what i mean does that make sense um
1: yeah on both (laughs) sides the the situation i mean because we're just we're just trying to figure it all out just like everyone else right and pray that you know we'll be given the grace that that we're wanting to give others
0: oh yeah exactly through it I do, I do find the irony in both of us sitting here discussing this book and neither one of us is homosexual. So <laughs> there's some irony in the fact that yeah. that neither of us has this experience, but again, uh, the, yeah. the desire oh, for us so to figure it out. It's the same way with the, you know, the author of the book. I mean, he. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute, because that's one of the the things that struck me, of course, right up front is this is not a gay pastor writing this book. This is not even a gay man writing this book. This this is just a man who was in the in ministry, whose mind began to change about a subject. And so he's not even somebody that lived in that lifestyle. And yet he was completely shunned and rejected as well for the same thing, for asking questions. And he tells a lot of that story throughout the book in pieces um, you know, the general unease that people felt with him initially uh, to the questions that kind of sealed his fate, so to speak, as it as it pertained to his employment uh, circumstances. right? Um, and of course, he had a family. He had three kids with a baby on the way. And of course, the church that he worked for had no problems turning him out and saying he was no longer welcome or that they would support him because of this belief, because of a change in a belief system. Um, And to me, I, I look at that and I think, how hypocritical. <laughs> it just seems to me, it comes back to that that you you're worried about what this man believes about a doctrine, and yet you have no problems turning him and his family away. <laughs> that that is completely right. ridiculous in my estimation. Yeah. Um no, and, I- and he, did, he came from the background. I mean, he was he was Baptist. And you know, he, he even uses the words oversaved at the beginning of the book. He was oversaved. <laughs> right. I think we've all known people like that. People that are like so saved that, uh, that that's all they talk about. Yeah, I was Yep. Yep. Did my time there as well. Um, but of course, you know, he was he grew up in this atmosphere. But the one thing that, that he said near the beginning of the book that really it stuck with me because it's something I explore and I examine in myself often is that he realized he was a Christian in name only. Mm -hmm. and because, and and what caused him to, to think that is he wasn't living out what he actually believed. And that was before he even got to the subject matter. He was just talking about the fact that if he truly believed people were going to hell, why wasn't he doing more to stop that? You know, uh, he wasn't living from the convictions that he, that he espoused, you know, with his mouth, he wasn't walking it out. And, um, but that stuck with me. So then it, you know, when you take that into the subject matter of homosexuality, and his beliefs on that and whether they changed or not christian christian living is is about following christ and christ was about love and mercy so i've i've not yet understood <laughs> probably going to say this 15 times but i've not yet understood how we get to this place where we are able to shun people right over something uh, like this i mean it's
1: it's you know as much as what i feel like I went through and lost and what it cost me to be, you know, like Colby says, to align my heart and head. Um, he, he lost something yeah. so, you know, a job, not just his friends that, you know, this community, but his job and yeah. family, he had to take care of. And that's, that's a scary place to be. I was, didn't have to go through that. Um, right. Fortunately, but I know that there are pastors and that, you know, they have. They have had to pay uh, with their own jobs right? when they are true to their own conviction and to what they have um, concluded after their yeah. own research and their own prayer and their own convictions. And I mean, I felt for him when he was, you know, sharing that in the story. And yeah. you're right. It's like this community; they just turn them away that easily. It was just yeah. shocking, very <laughs> really. much so. I As mean, these are Christians, you know, family including, and right, yeah. And then they're so easily no, you're you're out
0: exactly. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's even so. So the church that I was attending, you know. It, it was a big deal when we had somebody that came in the church that was homosexual because nobody was. And and I remember that very vividly. Um, he was a wonderful young man. He I consider him one of my children now. Um, he was very good friends with my kids, and he he attended church. He was well-received in church, but there was an understanding that it was with the hope that he could be converted. Right. Yep. It, it wasn't actual acceptance. It was acceptance with a, with a, a plan. Right. You know, an, an outcome that they were hoping for, and and unfortunately, I find that a lot in my experience in Christianity that often will accept people with with an agenda. Yes, it, it's not it's not truly about caring where that person is or what they need. It's about an agenda, and and so I already have a problem with that. But I recognize that pretty quickly. I, I will say this: that young man made a comment to me not too long ago. He doesn't live near me anymore. He's on the other side of the United States, and he made a comment in a conversation to me on social media about how much he loved me and that he knew no matter what, that I always loved him. Mm. Yeah. And and that made me cry. I literally did sit and cry because I, I thought if at the end of the day, that's what can be said about me. I don't care who likes me for accepting homosexuals or not. As long as I, at the end of the day, I can be known because I loved somebody. That seems to be the most important thing to me. Yeah. Um. And And so I so appreciated him sharing that with me. Um, but as I said, I've had lots of friends and people that I've worked with and stuff over the years who identified as homosexual and and I've never had a problem with them. And I never felt like it was my place to save them. Even though that probably would have gotten me in trouble in, in church had I said that out loud, I I just was friends with them. it didn't matter to me. (laughs) Yeah. So again, this is all very much a confusing subject for me. Um, but going back to the book, one of the things – I wrote a bunch of notes, and so I'm just going to kind of go through them, and maybe we can discuss okay. them. Yeah. Um, but he actually – he and I have to get this book next, and one of the books coming up, because he referenced a book called The New Kind of Christian by Brian McLaren, mm-hmm. um, in which he found you know, the ability to – or the permission, I should say, that it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. You know, and and it's okay for you to work through these things. That's about that's what belief is about. Belief and faith is about working it out. Right. And um and so I thought that was very interesting. So I need to get that book because now I want to read that yeah. book about what it, you know. Yeah, I like Brian's work. Yep. Yeah, I like Brian's work too, and I just haven't read that one. So um But, of course, you know, he goes back and he talks about a time. And, of course, this was very uh, realistic to me. He went back and talked about a time, especially in our U.S. military, where we had, like, don't ask, don't tell. Right. Yeah. That
1: was so interesting to come back into my mind again, like, oh, yeah, I remember
0: that. Right. Well, I served in the military. Most people know that. I was in the Marine Corps. My husband was in the Marine Corps. So this was a conversation that came up quite often, you know, whether it was right to have people who were homosexual in, in the military. Mm-hmm. And and I would sit and vacillate because I would say, well, of course it is. I mean, why shouldn't they be able to serve just like anybody else? But then I would think logistically and I would think, well, okay, maybe that's a problem for other people. But that's just the point. It's a problem for other people. And it shouldn't matter, you know, that this person is, is somehow different. And I'm using air quotes around different there. Um, but anyway, it was, a, it was a very telling time. It was a big shift because up until that time, of course it was a no go. Yeah. Um, and so it was a shift. It was a shift in the right direction. It wasn't a total step, but it was a shift. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but he actually goes into the book around his own t- and you know, this, you've read it. He spends some chapters talking about his personal, uh, exploration into the subject matter and how that was shifting. And then he goes into some of the biblical backup, the clobber verses, which is, of course, why the book is called Unclobber. Right. Um, he kind of right. goes into some of those. And so I kind of wanted to go through those because I thought they were interesting. And I had some some thoughts on them and see where you fall on it. Because, as I said, you've done a lot more study in this area than I have. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to mention, like, when it was that Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So how you say, and I don't remember yeah. exactly what year that was. I know if you mentioned it in, in
0: the book. but It was uh, during mm-hmm. Bill Clinton's presidency. So it's been a while back.
1: I I it's strange, you know, I don't know how you felt, but when I when I became a Christian, um and then I learned that oh, okay, gay people are, you know, excluded unless they change who they are. I remember learning that and thinking, well, that's odd. Right. (laughs) It it, it didn't, even back then, I mean, it didn't feel right. This is 23 years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, But anyway, I remember that and thinking, oh, yeah, I guess it's good, Don't Maybe that's a good, I I was confused about it. I didn't know how I felt about it. Right. I was so early on and it was like, well, yeah, maybe that's safer for everybody. Yes. Just don't say anything. And now, of course, I'm, you know, in a completely different place. Thinking, well, hell no. Well, how about you just let <laughs> it go? What the hell, you know what whose problem is? it? your problem. Just like your exactly whose problem is exactly not the right. one that like, hey, is like this. Who I who I am. This how I identify, get over it, people. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. Gosh,
1: it's so interesting to see when I look back and see my own very slow transformation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's very humbling
0: in, in all honesty. I mean, because because we do remember when we were of the same mindset, you know, and, and so now you look back at the person you were, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, and you go, what was that person thinking? Well, they were changing, <laughs> they were evolving, true. they were growing. That's a part of the process, so... Yeah. I mean, we're here now, so.
1: <laughs> this is kind of the cultural, this is how you were raised, this is what you were told, and you kind of don't question it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Well, and, and honestly, I mean, we've had this discussion before, both you and I, the idea that I I didn't question a whole lot of things back then, and I look I look back at it now and go, why didn't I think about that? You know, <laughs> so this is just another in a long line of subject matter that is something right. that my mind has been changed on, so. Right. It just is the way it is, but. But he actually goes into um, the verses in the Bible. And, of course, we know that there are those clobber passages. Um, however, they are inf- infinitesimally, I don't know if that's a good word, they are very small in comparison to the remainder of the Bible or the canon. Sure. Um, so it's already amazing to me that one or two verses are used to create a whole doctrine. Um, yeah. But then that seems to be the way we do about everything. So, right. uh, But he starts in in Genesis 19. And one of the questions he asks, and I think this is very is very good question to ask when we're dealing with the canon in general. Um, how do you read the story? In other words, is this something that you're taking as a literal fly on the wall, saw it happen, wrote it down, or is this allegory, or is it just storytelling? And, and so he makes that distinction, and I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, of uh, unfortunately, in, in my Christian tradition, I always believed that Genesis was literal. It wasn't until just absolutely no more than five years ago that I was struck with the idea that maybe this was allegorical. Maybe this was storytelling. Um, and so that changes a lot of things. But I was taught to believe that it was a literal event. It wasn't a myth. Right. Um, and, and then he brings up another subject as to why is the story told and retold? Well, one of the things that I learned in, not in this subject matter, but in other subject matters, um, is that often much of the stories that are told in the Bible are actually told in other mythology, in other yeah. belief systems. And some of those are even actually older, of course. Um, and these, these stories are told to change the way people viewed God, not necessarily that these were exact things that happened, right. but that these were a way to show God in a different frame. Right. Um, and at least that's how I understood it, which actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and so we do have to look at this and say, well, well, why is this story being told and retold? And of course, and I, I see this a lot among the people that I know, and but I don't know that it's a widespread belief or knowledge that the idea of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed for homosexuality is is displaced elsewhere in the canon. And and he does bring that up that it was not about homosexual behavior; it was about a lack of hospitality or care for their, you know, for other people. Yeah.
1: When I remember um, when I started researching this um, on my own, and also with a class with um, in an online class that was facilitated facilitated by a non affirming scholar um, who is still non affirming. But Mm. I remember thinking wow, this one was really easily, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, this first clobber passage was so right. easily <laughs> to in my opinion, sort of debunked and, and, and shown, it, you know, in the light of what it really meant. It's like, why, why don't we, oh, why doesn't everybody know this who reads the Bible, right. realize this has really nothing to do with gay love, marriage, you know, uh, same-sex attraction. That's, not even a part of it at all. It was shocking to me right. that I had well, been led for
0: so long in my old church. Exactly. And one of the things that, and it kind of makes me chuckle. I'm sorry if this is is offensive to people, honestly, but <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I, I find it humorous that in the story, if you go back and read in the canon, in the canon about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he brings up some points here that that it it. I think we know them, but we haven't really thought them out far enough because he talks about this is a story of rape, not homosexuality, because these men said bring them out so that we may have sex with them. Well, every man in the village, really. So were they all homosexual? How are there women and children then? That doesn't make sense. But anyway, he he goes on and talks about that at this point it was not it was rape. And of course, as we know, rape is about power and control. And who's who's in charge? And so I laugh a little bit because it kind of reminds me of dogs. (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous, but dogs have that kind of behavior when they're trying to establish dominance, right? And so when I read this, it makes me kind of laugh every time. So I know that's (laughs) right. But it, but that's what the story is about. And if you go on um, into the into the different prophets later on in the canon, I mean, in Ezekiel, it it, it flat out says it that it was destroyed for lack of hospitality, right? It, and sex is not mentioned right. by by the it's prophets.
1: For and I was fascinated to not to find out. Uh, I can't remember how much how much later. Um, it was that in, gosh, and I don't remember, it was Matthew and Jesus is talking to, I think it's Matthew and Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, pretty much, you know, go into these towns and, you know, uh, share the gospel. You're sharing right. the, this good news and the household or the town that doesn't receive you and it's not hospitable toward you, Right, they're going to receive a much greater uh, judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. So, as I was reading it, I, I was realizing, oh, so Jesus is making this connection yes, of absolutely lack of hospitality with judgment and Sodom and Gomorrah, and all these kind of things started connecting in my own mind. Like, oh, okay, we'll see. There it is again. Comfort. Yes. this is what this was really about. Had nothing to do really with what my church had, oh, they were, right. you know, destroyed for
0: homosexuality. Oh, it's just, too, it's too pat of an answer. It's too convenient. And in all honesty, you're right. Jesus did bring it up. And if, if Jesus was so hung up on the idea, if he had been hung up on the idea of homosexuality, he had a perfect opportunity oh, yeah. right then and there to yes. say so. Yes. But he did make it about hospitality or the lack thereof. Yep. And told them to shake the dust off of your feet and walk away he didn't say stone them. He didn't say do anything, you know, that would pertain back to that. He just simply said, look, that's worse than what happened in, it, what, what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And so I, I looked at that too, cause I read that as well. And I was like, yeah, he had a perfect opportunity to address this subject matter if that were the focus, but yeah. it wasn't. So, right. but again, this is, it's right. an easy book. It's, Yeah. And it's it's an easy answer for people when it comes down to homosexuality. I mean, coming from a psychological standpoint, I have some ideas as to why people have the ideas they have about homosexuality. Um, I really feel like that's a more of a reflection of them than it is the people they're talking about. Um, But that's another whole subject. So we won't go there.
1: (laughs) We have how many minutes here? Let's see how we got
0: to narrow it down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I thought the next part uh, was very interesting when that, so that's one clobber passage and we've kind of, we've kind of given you an overview of what his contention was there. Um, but then the next ones, of course, are in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus eighteen twenty two and 2013 in which he's discussing the subject of abomination um, and I really found this interesting, and going back to when I was studying and learning Hebrew, some of the words that I learned then came up, and I thought it was pretty interesting um because I remember having this discussion with somebody else on the subject of homosexuality and abomination or toeva um, right. and so he goes into that uh, into that uh, conversation pretty pretty extensively, I thought um,
1: and just and so out, Leviticus. The Sodom and Gomorrah story and the two mentions in Leviticus, were re- which are very similar. These are the three right. only passages mm-hmm. in the entire Old Testament, right? right? Yes. That really has anything to say about same sex activities, same right. sex, same sex activities. And these three passages are well-known to be used like a club to
0: bang over the head right. after, <laughs> over a uh, gay people today. So anyway, yeah. I just
1: point that out. But that's no,
0: it. and it, you're absolutely yeah. right. This is I was it.
1: talking to me when I first learned that. It's like, what? Yeah. I thought this was a huge thing that was supposed right. to be talked about all throughout Old Testament. <laughs> no. Anyway, sorry to interrupt.
0: No, no, no. no absolutely. Um, well, I'm going to read these two verses, uh, but, but I want to talk about the word abomination or toivah. Um, Leviticus eighteen twenty two, and this is the ESV version. It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And then Leviticus 20, 13 says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So that sounds pretty cut and dried. If we're just doing a flat reading of the canon, we can look at that and say, well, there it is. And which is what a lot of people do. Right. But I think we have to go back in this. And that's what I appreciated about what he did is we have to go back to what is an abomination. What does that mean? And what did it mean in context to the culture and the historicity there? Mm. Um, Because those are important questions and an important part of the conversation that most of us just gloss over. Um, Because after all, we have an idea or a a definition of what abomination means. So that must mean what they thought it meant, too, which is ridiculous. Um, So he he does go into abomination. And I I thought this was interesting. Um, He talks about it as an abomination was something that was outside of the culture or what they were meant to be. Um, And he gives a whole list of things that were considered abominations that we would look at now and go, yeah, that's not a big deal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yet we hold on to this one thing. And um, he mentions another book, which I have not read. It's called unclean by Richard back. And I thought this was an interesting term though. Infra humanization. Um, which is the phenomenon of seeing people as less than human. So basically what is happening here is when we, from a psychological level, when we assign the, the term abomination to a person, we can limit, we can limit or separate ourselves from that idea and put that as something horrible. We dehumanize them. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, um, we're able to dismiss them much easier, much quicker, um, and make ourselves feel better in the process, by the way, because, well, I'm not that. And, and so I, that term really stuck with me as I read through the book and, and thinking about the people that I've known that are homosexual or, or that have shared stories or whatever. Oftentimes, it is with a, from a position or a context of having been made to feel less than, um, broken, um, evil, all of these terms which are used to, to dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. And that's upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to feel that way. Um, but, and so he talks about, as I said, he, and I'm, I don't have it right here in front of me. I'm looking for it right now as we speak, actually, the idea that there were all these things that were violations against the family basically that are in that same chapter. Um, and that's what that chapter chapter 18 is on the prohibition against it's a prohibition against violating the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's lots of things that go in there. If we go back through here, uh, verse 21, I'm going to read this part. Verse 21 seems to take a detour when it prohibits sacrificing your child, the Canaanite god, Molech. But it's reasonable to assume that this would have been an affront to the sacredness of family as well. We arrive at the clobber passage in verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And then the section wraps up with a prohibi- prohibition against bestiality. Another whole su- subject matter. The, cha- the chapter ends with God saying that all these activities were engaged in by the people God was currently evicting from the promised land. Right. God said, but you shall keep my statute, my ordinances, and commit none of these abominations, or, meaning all of the behaviors that were previously listed. So keep my charge not to commit any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So yeah. we can look at that and say, well, God feels pretty strongly about it. But what he felt strongly about was the fact that they were supposed to be a nation called apart. So he didn't want them conducting themselves in the same way that other nations did.
1: Yeah. I, I wanted to, I don't know if this is what you were mentioning, but Colby writes, my final observation about Tova has to do with how the word was used to describe improper mixing beyond yes. the transgression of cultural practices. In Deuteronomy 22, for instance, we read about the Tova of mixing out outfits uh, like c- cross-dressing in 22, right. mixing types of seed planted in the ground, 22, 9, mixing wool and linen together to make clothing, twenty two eleven, And all this supports the idea that Toavah is rooted not in evil or immoral actions, but in a particular refusal to combine and mix things that should not be mixed in Israel, as you were saying. was to right. say <laughs> And these behaviors, these, abom- these Toavah behaviors were threatened this whole project. And the the described activities that transgress the, you know, the boundary markers of what it meant to be Israel. Right. So, I mean, yeah. And so people think, Oh, that's abomination. That's an inherently wicked thing. Right. That's what we in our time think. But in
0: that time, that is not what it meant. Right. And he actually says that this is different than a sweeping condemnation. Right. Very much a different thing, and uh, he also in this section goes into the into the um, uh, the juxt- he calls it the juxtis- juxtaposition of the nouns, uh, basically the words that were used for man or husband and woman or wife, right? Um, and they don't match. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, very interesting because the way that it's written makes it seem as though it's very it, it's very. um He's using the word for males in a general sense um but for female he's using it in a very specific sense and they're not matched up the way that you would expect them to be right um now, now again, I've taken some Hebrew but not to this level so I'm sure my Hebrew Hebrew scholar friends out there are gonna be have something to say, but that's good because maybe they should <laughs> um. But I thought he went into a very good discussion on this and and ex- explained this as well. But again, comes back to the idea that this is not a sweeping condemnation in in regard to the whole subject matter of abomination. It's just not sweeping. It, right. It's it's meant to differentiate Israel from other cultures, right? Um, and and but, as you said, you mentioned a whole bunch of things there that were considered under that term toevah. Yeah, that we would look at a big deal. Sure, eating shrimp,
1: mixed fat. I mean right. all kinds of things. I mean some people will say well you know you would be stoned you'd be you would have to be executed for right. this thing. Well yeah so would your 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 smart out child. You know
0: child- <laughs> so I mean I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's interesting because i've heard i've heard pushback on that the idea of that like, well there's all these other things mentioned i've heard other people push back on that and say well but culture changes except in their mind it doesn't change about this one specific subject only about everything else yeah you know they oh of course we can mix fabrics now and we can plant certain oh. crops next to each other and that, that's just all silly cultural stuff well this was cultural stuff too
1: <laughs> yeah it goes to the whole idea of cherry picking and Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah everybody is everybody cherry picks, but that's another subject. But um another yeah. <laughs> thing that I thought was important that he he pointed out was um I don't feel like it's taken seriously enough is that there is no lesbianism mentioned. There is no pro- right. for females. Right. And I've heard the pushback on that from the non sure. side but it is uh, something to take into consideration technically in scripture there you know all of the old testament there is no condemnation prohibition whatsoever that is for women right uh sexual activities with women women and women that is something you right. to, to have in the back of your mind and wonder about yeah as one is looking into this
0: yeah absolutely okay. yeah, yeah. Well, so the uh, I'm, I'm going to read this one starred part that I have here. Um, if an act was identified as Toeva, it did not therefore mean that the act in question was inherently objective, inherently objectively or eternally an immoral offense or a violation of God's will. Right. It's not so. In other words, not synonymous with sin. Well, yeah.
1: Otherwise, I'd be in big trouble. As I'm
0: wearing with fabric fabric.
1: yeah me too inherently you know people think and i'd be in trouble right now with my yeah exactly but anyway
0: so again we uh, and we're we're very prone to do this um we are attaching 21st century ideas to historical context and it doesn't make sense right um again and, and i know this is an old argument and a lot of people chafe at this one too as well but this was not written to us uh, and so that's something that we also have to take into consideration with this as yeah. well. Yes there's wisdom here. Yes there's things that we can learn. But at the end of the day God was setting prohibition for the people of Israel. Right. In because a specific not- time and place.
1: And like Colby mentions and I see this in scripture very specifically in these chapters it, is that it was specifically to set them apart. Right. From the surrounding nations. There was something Certain things that, for whatever reason, in these laws, it was decided doing these things will really set you apart quite well. In that, right. event, it's some of these things that you and I in our culture we do, we of course do today that we don't think twice about it. And because we're not here anymore, to, <laughs> we're not Israel living in the right. land and trying to be set apart to be look different from these other pagan nations or these other outside nations. So,
0: right. Well, and the reality is, and we hear this all the time, and of course, um, as you and I discussed earlier, the recording of this podcast is happening while we're all in isolation, um, Yeah. And, and we were talking about the fact that we've seen or heard quite a few uh, times how this is all a result of homosexual behavior, which is ridiculous, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life, because sure. apparently, you people who identify as homosexual are responsible for everything. <laughs> well, anytime there's any
1: kind of national, you know... Uh, tsunami you know for everything virus, everything whatever <laughs> let's blame it on whatever some group and yes the lgbt community is that yeah scapegoat that group that we're gonna blame. Of well course, and, and- for some for some sex of religions yes
0: <laughs> right and and ironically it it it, it actually does make sense to me. I'm not defending that at all, by the way, but it does make sense to me at, as we go into the next clobber passage. Um, this has come up several times in conversation for me that, the next one, of course, is in the new Testament. It's the Romans passage. Um, and of course, this is this whole list of prohibition yeah. um, that has been used. And, and ironically, the only one of course, that most people ever talk about is homosexuality. I, and um, and I was he talked about Colby
1: talked about this one before the first Corinthians and first Timothy, because this is the, the one that, you know, most non-affirming, you know, Christians, it's the last, the, the one that they hang their hat on to say, yeah.
0: point the finger and say, see it yeah. is wrong. Yeah. So this is- well, and ironically when I read it and he made that comment, I kind of laughed because to me, this one is the easiest one to explain. Oh. This is quite honestly the easiest one for me. Wow. Um, and and the reason being because I've done a bunch of other study on on how Paul wrote, oh, and uh, okay. a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know. I shouldn't say a lot of people. Some people are familiar with a term called prosopopeia. I don't know if you're if you're uh, familiar with that term. That
1: sounds familiar, but I think I know where
0: you're going. Yeah, prosopopeia prosopopia, which I cannot pronounce, obviously. Um, and my husband got on me about that last night. He actually told me, he's like, when you do your podcast, you should really work on pronouncing the, the words better before you actually record. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I prefer to go in the moment. But <laughs> This is prosopopia. And of course, it's not spelled anything like you would think. So it's difficult to find. But um, basically, it's a Greek word. And it was introduced to me uh, actually by um, a theologian. I think you know him too, Michael Harden. Yes. Um. And he did a whole sermon series on this that I listened to one time, and it broke it open for me. And I thought, well, this makes so much more sense. But he's saying that that list, that that section of scripture in Romans, is basically the voice of the false teacher. Oh. Okay. And and Kobe talks about that as well. That the idea that Paul starts out this this chapter on one note, but then seems to ch- his tone seems to change. Yes. Right. And, and it's, this, it's the contention of prosopopoeia, the idea behind prosopopia, that his tone did change because at that time he was expressing the views of somebody else. Yeah. The
1: and in a section of, false of uh, like a, a discourse, like a section of it and plugged it right. in there
0: for a sort of a literary device. Yeah. Correct. And that's exactly right. Pro- prosopopia is a literary device. Um, Douglas Campbell in his book... Uh, Oh, what is it? The deliverance of God. He actually uses a different term. I think he uses the term rhetoric, but I, I don't recall for sure. Okay. Um, but it's the same idea. Okay. Basically, they're saying that, look, Paul has inserted here the argument of somebody else. And what he, as you're right, he'd use yeah. it as a literary device to then say, yeah. here, you heard it said this. Jesus used to do yeah. this. You he heard this said, to but to then this
1: get the blood going and get them sort yeah. of beating their drums and like, yeah,
0: exactly. right, Yeah, right. Right, and right. so he, he uses that, puts it in there, and then turns it back around on him. Yes. And basically says, look, even if any of this were true, and, and Kobe makes this point, even if any of this were true, Paul still totally decimates it by saying, but you who judge are guilty of the same. Yes.
1: And I've heard this argument before. Mm-hmm. For me, it wasn't greatly, um, it didn't convince me. And I really I. It, well, no, I, I don't I don't doubt that that's probably what Paul was doing, but I needed more. For me, right. I needed more right. convincing. Like, are we sure? Like, just even Colby did bring it up. Like, are we sure? What, what would Paul really say, though? Does he feel this way? Right, he, would, he does bring oh, it up, yeah. Yeah,
0: right. But then he talks about, because he says, well, so if we go then to the second chapter, right after that, that section of scripture, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Yeah. So right there, he t- he takes it, even if we're to believe that Paul did think those things, it- and it's not, it's not rhetoric, it's not a literary device, we can say, well, but in the very next word, Paul says, but how dare you judge it? You're yeah. guilty of the same. Yeah. So either way, we still come back to the conclusion that, that Paul has said, you don't get to say if this is okay or not.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I still want me personally. I wanted more. I wanted to, right. which I I, I mean, <laughs> I wanted to be able to go to go back in time and say, Paul, this is okay, right?
0: <laughs> he brings that up too. If only we could do that. I mean, Paul has a lot he could really answer and fix for us if he were so inclined <laughs> and we had that ability. Yeah, based on
1: probably or colby says even based and he's thinking you know based on where paul was and what he knew he really wouldn't have a frame of reference to be able to give us a good opinion about what he right but you know like looking through their phone, see this is when we got like two gay two gay people this is when we got married see this picture right this is when we went and we had this picnic and this is when we adopted our children and, you know, you could go through that with Paul, right. and he would be like, what? You know, <laughs> it's not like you could get the answer you want, necessarily, because it's just he has no frame of reference. He had there is nothing that he right. to be able to categorize that. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Well, I personally, like I said, each one of us is probably going to come at this from a different angle. And and so that section to me, like I said, was the easiest for you. You needed more, which is totally fine, um, because we're all going to see things differently. Uh, I, I personally, when I got to that part of the book, I thought, oh, this part's the easy part for me. And, and right. because yeah. I was already convinced by that, um, that because Paul, Paul uses that same, uh, literary device in other books that he's written in the canon as well. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of study out there on those things. So it's very interesting. Um, but as I said, then he, he goes on to say, Ev- even if that's true. So going back to what I was saying earlier, I, my contention is that that section of scripture, of course, as you said, is the biggest, Punch of the bunch, so to speak, because it's easy for us as human, you know, human beings to pick out of that list the one thing that most of us probably are not familiar with or involved in and demonize it. Yes, yeah, true. Even though we're guilty of all the other stuff, as well, long as we can separate ourselves out from that and demonize that, we can separate ourselves and say, well, at least I'm not that. Yeah, <laughs> and we've made ourselves feel well, better. So good at that. Yeah. yeah and and honestly and that goes back to another conversation that I had uh, not too long ago on the subject of scapegoating and mimetic theory. This is a very normal human thing we all do it. Right. Um we're looking to differentiate ourselves from any kind of guilt or association with guilt instead of just announcing or or admitting I'm just as guilty. Right? So I I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of people that can say I've never had any any kind of relationship at all to homosexual behavior. I'm sure sh- I'm sure the majority of people can say that. But that means they they feel better about themselves somehow and they can demonize that person that has and say, well, see, I'm better than you. So right. psychology 101 tells us this is projection at its finest. And honestly, it, it's it's no longer surprising to me, still humorous to me, however, that the people that are most adamantly against a behavior are often the ones most guilty of the behavior. Right. And we see that play out over and over and over in our news and society with our lawmakers and, uh, even our clergy, people that are adamantly against homosexuality who are suddenly found to be indulging in some kind of sexual deviancy or what we've termed deviancy. Um, You know, I can think of several that, you know, are very outspoken against homosexuality, but then have been arrested for child molestation. Well, honestly, I I don't know how you gain any moral high ground there. So it's it's a very disturbing phenomenon. And yet, oh, so human. It is. Um,
1: Some of the pushback would be, well, you know, you repent of it and you move on. Someone who <laughs> is quote unquote living a gay lifestyle, which I hate that phrase. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm living a heterosexual lifestyle. Apparently, uh, yeah, I am too. <laughs> but, you know, they're continuing in quote unquote that sin. And I, um, and so when I was researching this, I thought, okay, that is strong pushback. What do I say to that? Yeah. Um, for me, not only all that you know you've shared and that Colby shared, but there are so many. There's an actually another interpretation, you know, out there that for the first 300 years of the church's existence, this passage was interpreted to mean basically straight men having non procreative sex with women and, right. and then switching things up and having same sex sex with the men. Right. So, whether that is a tr- an, uh, an accurate interpretation or not, uh, that it was even an, an interpretation that was considered, well, how certain can we be? And not only that, when you look at this this reading of all of these different, you know, sins, if you will, um, how could anybody read through that and say, oh, yeah, because you can see that it's clearly uh, lustful, hedonistic kinds of Right. Activity. Uh, there's definitely a hint of idolatry in that in the context. There, how can one read this? Oh, yeah, that's what gay married people look like.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's what Paul's
1: talking about. <laughs> how can you? Not? And nobody can honestly say that. Right. Exactly. That's obviously, not who Paul's talking about. So, why
0: yeah. include them in that reading? <laughs> well, because it fits an agenda, of course. It fits an and. Agenda. And again, we we tend to read uh, the canon through the lens of our own understanding, it's more eisegesis versus exegesis. and uh, But nobody will admit that. Or most people won't admit that. I don't like to use all-encompassing statements, but most people will not admit that. Um, they are convinced that the way that they read the Bible is the correct way to read it, and that their understanding of the Bible is the only correct understanding of the Bible. And I've actually had family members say to me, I don't need to read any other books, I just need to read the Bible, as though they have the full understanding of context and culture and history and everything that was involved in the writing of, of the Canon. Um, and so that always makes me laugh a little bit because that tends, that tends to be the go-to defense mechanism when it comes to this conversation. Um, it's typically a black and white statement as in I can read it's right there in front of me. That's the end of it.
1: Well, strangely, when I, way back when, when I read Romans one, I guess it was because of the translation I had. Because when you read, you, when you have a different translations, they'll read differently, these passages that we're talking about. Of um, so course. was 1, I did not personally see, read it with a lesbian um, uh, reading. I did not. Right. I think I had ESV, or, and I wasn't sure. What, I don't remember which one I had, but it, that was not my interpretation when I read it. I was taught that in the church, and it was like, okay, let me go back and read this. Oh, so that's what it is. Okay, then I started seeing it the way I was taught. To be honest, I didn't see that reading, right? So that made me question altogether. Like, how, how or can we be sure what this particular passage is talking? Is Paul really condemning gay love? You know, in this, right. I don't see it. I honestly didn't see it.
0: Well, and I think if and I don't know a lot. Of, like I said again, disclaimer: don't know a lot about the subject. But the idea that that this was a phenomenon that was not. Well known in that time is erroneous. Right. I, homosexuality was a part of that culture as well, right? So, if there was a condemnation against it, it would have been much more severe. And I, again, I go back to it should have it should have come from Jesus then as well, yeah. Um, and but we don't think like that when we're reading the Bible. We we think only about, as you said, what you've been taught. That's how we read the Bible, um, through through a very big lens quite ironically in this, in this, uh, subject matter anyway. Um, but I want to go to the last couple uh, um, clobber verses that he has here. I, we don't have a lot of time left.
1: uh, And just pointing out there are only, again, there are only three in the new entire new Testament in the (laughs) the Romans. And then the first Corinthians and first Timothy, it's really the same word in the same kind of context.
0: Right. So, and it's and it's p- p- ah, specific to exploitive or economic sex. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not specific to homosexuality. Right. And and so I think that that's where we again, our translations probably do not do us justice. Most translations, of course, are created through um, with an agenda behind them. Um, we cannot just read what we have in front of us and assume that that is that that is 100% accurate. We have to understand that each translation has an agenda behind whoever requested that translation. Um, But yeah, he goes into the idea of that exploitive, that exploitive side of sex, Mm -hmm. Um, sex, you know, as commerce, um, sex in, in, in order to hurt somebody else or to spitefully use them, which Jesus of course did say something about spitefully using, um, but not in the context of sex. Um, but there's, there's even here, I, I read this and I thought, yeah, big deal I, <laughs> to me. I was like, okay. Yeah. He's like saying you shouldn't sell other people into sex slavery. That would be exploitative sex, or it should right. not become an economic standpoint, you know, that, that we're using women in sexual ways, you know, to pay debts or, or something like that, which of course is stuff that's been done all throughout history. Well, um, you have a little bit of a-
1: background, a lot of people are using their translation that simply says homosexual or homosexuality.
0: Right. But that's my point is why are we so easily led to just read that and think that's the be all end all? Why would we not? I don't know. I guess I shouldn't ask that because I never did when I was younger either. I didn't question those things. And, And of course, that's a very big regret for me now. I feel like I've wasted years and years of just blindly believing something rather than doing the exploration and the education necessary to understand it better even if i found that it that was true at least i would have had it from an educated standpoint right exactly and and i really feel like that that's what each one of these subject matters you know it, whether we're talking about homosexuality or we're talking about a belief in hell or or any number of tenets of christianity that are up for grabs each one of those we should evaluate the things that we disagree with just so that we come from an educated standpoint on what we believe. Right. And that, and that's actually how I live now, but I really, really wish I had done that my entire life. Um, of course, you know, regret is part of growing older. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's (laughs) the way it goes, but I loved how he ended this. Um, he says when it comes to homosexuality in the Bible, after revisiting the clobber passages, I'm convinced it is impossible to argue that the Bible condemns homosexuality as an orientation, or that it divinely prohibits two people of the same sex from experiencing a loving, committed, mutually honoring, and respecting relationship. In fact, the most a non-affirming Christian could say against people who identify as LGBTQ would be something like this. The Bible condemns gang rape, sexual molestation, religious orgies, prostitution, sex slaves, and exploiting people for sex to which we should all say, amen. Mm-hmm. But you made this point earlier, but homosexuality involving people in a loving monogamous relationship is no different than a heterosexual relationship.
1: Right.
0: In its purest form as well. And uh, right. either way, and, and again, this needs to be said, we we tend to vilify homosexuality as deviant behavior, but yet there's a lot of deviant behavior that goes on in heterosexuality. Yeah. And and yet somehow, again, as you mentioned earlier, that you, you just need to repent from that. Well, no, if we're going to demonize one, we really have to be just as stringent on the other side of the equation. Right. right. And, and so maybe we should just get over the idea that it's our place to judge anybody for what they do, like Paul suggested or, you know, pretty forcefully said you're guilty of the same thing. And maybe we should look around and say, how do we include people? And I think maybe that's how we should finish the conversation is how do we include people that have been ostracized? What, what can we do to bring people back into the fold, or, so to speak? And even that makes it sounds bad because it makes it sound like we're in and they're out and we could just as easily be on the outside of that fence. Um, I, I know for me that it's about treating each person with respect and honesty and care and love and, and, It doesn't matter to me what orientation they ascribe to as to whether I should respect them or not. They're a human being. Um, And and so that's kind of how I look at it. I assume you kind of look at it the same way, or maybe you can expand on that.
1: I, um, gosh, um, it's not for me. It seems so... Obvious. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, of course, um, whatever orientation, sexual orientation. Why would that make a difference? Right. I ask myself. I would ask somebody who thinks it makes a difference. Why? Why? Uh, give me a you know and 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 refer back to scripture of why or G- more specifically Jesus's take as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I I. I'm sort of about. I'm I'm all about what brings harm, what doesn't bring harm. You know, Um, it it just seems so obvious to me. I don't know. Like, if something brings (laughs) harm, don't do it. If something is not harmful, then why would we question somebody? Like, yeah, somebody chooses to wear high heels, you know, or lipstick, (laughs) or get married to the same sex. I don't get it. I don't get it. One of the things that I um when I was researching all of this um and I eventually became persuaded that the Bible just was not clear enough to prohibit what I take for granted, which right. is intimate lifetime partner with whom to re- in you know with I feel like is really reflecting the covenant fidelity found between Christ and the church as Christians, you know. Right. You know the self-sacrificial giving of oneself to another. And, and I feel like the church or certain parts of the church were withholding that. And, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what partly, that's what it means to be human or fully human to have a full human experience and to withhold that based on this. What I came to realize was really quite weak evidence, right? you know, right. in these pages of scripture, that was just a heartless thing to do to, to say, no, you have to remain celibate. You can't have what I have based on what really. Right. Um, and honestly, I felt like if literally, seriously, think about it. If, uh, 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 you know, having a gay spouse um is the Supposedly, or gave, you know, falling in love with the same sex is this inherently immoral act that some make it out to be. How in the world has God not, in his goodness and greatness, made that absolutely abundantly clear in scriptures? So exactly. to make millions of humans stumble and enter into this hugely grave sin is that the kind of god we have is he's like i'm gonna just give you a hint like really barely right so <laughs> i mean it's just so beyond me and i know there's there's brilliant scholars on both sides of this issue i get it you know, Right. some are affirming and some are non-affirming but you know and they've been analyzing this stuff for years and years and years right trying to piece this together to sure. let's just you know figure it out and duke it out and then we'll figure out what you what you people can do what you guys exactly. who identify as gay we'll let you know when we come to the conclusion <laughs> what you can do and if you can have a life like the life i have
0: oh my goodness really Egotistical really? that sounds <laughs> really so i think they're the arbiter of of you know holiness or something I just, I just feel like if
1: that's if there's something t- hugely wrong here, if yeah, that's what we have to do to figure this out. It's just, to me, it became so clear, right? That, yeah, God, I think that, God is just fine with his LGBTQ children and them having right. their relationships. He's right. fine with it. That's how. That's how I see it.
0: Well, and and as I said again, coming from a background where, you know, I was raised to believe one thing and I believe something differently now, I vacillate back and forth with what does this mean to me? Well, I think what it means to me and is how should I how should I treat people? How should I treat people? And I think Jesus was pretty adamant on that. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, we call that the golden rule. We teach our children that when they're small. So, I think that I would want to be treated with love and acceptance. And so that just means that maybe I should be treating others with love and acceptance and I'll let God sort out all this other stuff. Um, I just want to be somebody that is gracious and loving and merciful to people around me, no matter who they are and what they believe. Um, And sometimes that's hard, but that's who I want to be. And I think we each have to answer that for ourselves, but, I don't know how
1: that we can go. It's harder for me to be that way now to (laughs) (laughs) non-affirming. I know. You're right. Like I said, this is a very difficult fight. Love and mercy to those who, you know, they have a, they have a non-affirming view. That's hard for me. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I agree. (laughs) It is. Um, But I also look at it and say, they're not living day in and day out being uh, rejected. And so I am going to err more to the side of the people that are facing yeah. rejection. But I also I also have a, a tendency to uh, to take the underdog side in most things. So <laughs> um, oh. But I've I've come to appreciate that about myself, and I really believe that it, it allows me to treat people the way that I would want to be treated. And, and as as I said, that's the golden rule. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm that's how I'm choosing to live my life. Um. So that is Unclobber. Thank you so much, Julie, for hanging out with me and chatting through this with me and helping a difficult subject matter for me to be a little easier. I appreciate that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know we're running out of time, but Romans 13, 8 through 10, people. Romans 13, yes. 8 through 10, love thy neighbor. That really sums up what we're supposed to be doing. So yes. if you, even if you question, like just exactly to your point, Michelle, is, hey. Love one another and you'll be, it, it'll all work out because you're just loving one another yeah. and you would want to be loved.
0: Exactly. So with that, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you all for joining us and entering into the discussion with us. I appreciate every one of you. Julie. I appreciate you. I love you. You're a good friend and I haven't seen you in forever and we're going to have to, no, I miss to have you. have some lunch. I miss you. Great conversation. I could just do
1: yeah. this with you all the time, but maybe it's recorded. <laughs>
0: Well, again, we'll have to do that. We'll sit down, we'll have lunch and we'll pick another subject and we'll tear it apart. (laughs) let's do it. All righty. All right, thanks everybody. And with that, we will talk with you next time. Bye.